This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. UWA 517, do you want to report a UFO? Negative. We don't want to report. Ares 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. Negative. We want to report one of those either. Uh, Ares 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind? Over. I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, sir. Uh, Aries 31, uh, me neither. There are 71 pop the golf, good. Was there anybody uh, above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? There are 71 pop the golf, negative. Okay. Pop this. It's a UFO. Yeah. It's murdered 295. Yeah, something just passed over. So, uh, like us. Don't know what it was, but it's at least two, three thousand feet above us. See, I passed right over the top of us. 911, you guys busy? Did we just call about the UFOs? Mm-hmm. They're out there. Taking airplanes. Got a dispatch. Bob, I swear to God, four calls in on an unidentified object over Liberty. Four calls. Four calls on an unidentified flying object. Welcome to UFO Chronicles, a place where people share their experiences of the strange and unexplained. If you've had an encounter and would like to be on the show, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone, wherever in the world you are joining us from. I hope you're all doing okay. Our guest this episode is Mike from Washington State, sharing his experiences on a camping trip in the Northern Rockies in 2006, when Mike and a friend encountered a trio of owls that entered their campsite, an encounter that drew Mike down a path of UFO abduction, synchronicities, and the connection to owls, which has been a running theme with some of my guests on previous episodes. Mike up next. If you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to help support my work, there is a couple of ways to do this. Either you can join Patreon and become a patron of the show for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate via PayPal. And if you like, you can set up monthly reoccurring payments. All links to support the podcast are below in the show notes and on the website. Any help is extremely appreciated and it helps the show to continue running. Now, on with the show. Mike, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. It is great to have you on. And you're calling from Washington State. Yes, from right around Puget Sound. I can walk uh, from the house I'm in right now and through a beautiful park with big uh, ancient trees. And and I can see Seattle across the Puget Sound from where I am. 
Now, Mike, you've had some peculiar, strange encounters as a UFO abductee with owls and synchronicity. Would you like to start at the very beginning, please, for us, sir? Well, to tell the story correctly, I mean, I, I would have to go back to 2006. And at the time, I would have been 44 years old. And I was living in uh, Idaho, which is right near where I was living was right near Grand Teton National Park, which is next to Yellowstone National Park, which I think probably everyone in the world has heard of Yellowstone. And I was doing a lot of outdoor work and I was spending a lot of time outdoors. And that was my that was my job was to live and hike and mountaineer and and go to wild places. I spent a lot of time in Alaska and uh, I was was had spent the summer in Alaska. And this would have been the fall of 2006. And I met a woman that was working at the same school I was working at. She didn't work in the field. She she was working what was called in town at the school. And her name was Kristen. And I just, I actually, I just saw her again. I hadn't seen her in probably a dozen years. And I just saw her last month. Um, and we had a long talk about, you know, her life and my life and how, how this event that I'm just about to tell you here, like changed everything in my life, changed, totally redirected my, my life. So, uh, I got a, I started talking with her and then saying like, Hey, you know, we've been here all summer in this beautiful spot right next to the, the Tetons, this big, beautiful national park. And I said, you must've been camping a lot. You must've been camping all summer. And she said, no, I never went camping once. This was September and the summer was dying down. It was fall was in the air. And I said, Oh, I'll, I'll take you out camping. We, you know, so I had been doing a form of lightweight backpacking at that point, And and I said, let's go out for one night and we'll just take very minimal gear. And if the weather was clear, there was no reason to take a tent. So with the weather forecast said that it was going to be a clear night. So we just went with sleeping bags and pads and very little gear. And, and so, the, so we made it very deep into the mountains. And as the sun was setting on that one night, I was sitting on a big flat rock and I was completely in my element. I had been working all summer long outside and I was making um, dinner on a little stove and we were talking there's a field of wildflowers in this beautiful mountain environment and high elevation in the northern Rockies, just remarkable. And the sun was setting and there came a point in the conversation where she said something like the conversation I recognized, like, wow, this is a much smarter, insightful. She was much more insightful and much more spiritual than I would have assumed. So this was essentially a first date, you know, like I, I didn't really know her and and I was really struck. And at that moment, an owl flew over us. And then a second owl. And then a third owl. And these three owls flew above us and flew around us for the next two hours, I'm going to guess. So we finished dinner and we actually moved our, we hiked a little further just because we're in bear country. You don't want to sleep next to where you cook really. So we walked for a little further and it was a big wide open expanse of wildflowers and stuff like that. We laid our sleeping bags down on the ground and, and looked up at the night sky and these owls followed us. And so when we were lying on our backs under the night sky, this had gotten dark at this point, the owls would like swoop right above our faces and blot out the stars for just one second. It was, it was remarkable. It was magical. And owls are very silent in flight. They have specialized feathers, so they're very silent in flights. There's no noise to hear. And they just would whoosh, just across our faces, and the, the stars would just turn off and then blink back on. And the next morning, we got up, and we were like, wow, that was remarkable. That was cool. So we walked back to the car, took a different route down, so we made a big loop in the mountains. And um, I'm going to just add one little thing here to this story. There's a strangeness to this when told in its completeness. When we were walking down... There was an old girlfriend of mine from this small town, this very small town. We had, um, 
I don't know how to say it, like a little, it was tense in the town afterwards. She, we broke up, she got married shortly after and she had a few kids and, and we'd see each other in town, but we never quite, we would say hello, but there was always this tension between me and this other girlfriend. I'm going to call her Carol. And it had probably been seven or eight years since we'd broken up at that point. So she had her two little kids. They were very young. One was about five and one was about nine, I think, Uh, or excuse me, about six or five. So the two kids and Kristen, who I had camped with the night before, kind of walked in front with the daughter. And I picked the little boy up and I carried him for the next mile. He was tiny and it was easy. And so I had the conversation with Carol that I had been waiting to have. And this conversation was essentially, you know, my life has been good. How's your life? How's everything going in your life? And it's great. And then we both sort of said, you know, like the time we spent together, I really cherished that our time together and I really care and respect you. And so it was a really sweet moment for both of us. And Kristen was walking up in front, holding the hand of the little girl. And so we got to the car. It's like less than a mile, probably on the trail. And we said goodbye to Carol. And then I got in the car with Kristen and she gave me this look like she said, that was the most important event I've ever had in my life walking with that little girl. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And she tried to articulate it, but there was something about that little girl that reminded Kristen of herself when she was that age. So it was this really powerful moment for Kristen. So this story is like interwoven with these highly charged experiences. I don't usually share that part, but it just, to tell the story correctly, like that small detail just seems important. Now, I said, hey, that was awesome. We saw those owls. It was a beautiful night out. Um, I had fun. If I go camping again, I love going camping for just one night. I'll give you a call. And she said, wonderful. So four days later, I called her up and said, let's go camping one more time, just one night. And we did. Now, this time it was a little bit colder. So we walked into the mountains, a totally different part of the mountains. And at sunset, it was colder. So I said, let's walk up to that hill. We'll warm up. We had a tent this time because the weather was a little more unsettled and it was colder and and windy. And so I said, let's walk up to the top of that hill and we can watch the sunset and then we can come back down and climb in the tent and, and be a little warmer just from the walk. So we got up to the top of the hill. As soon as we arrived at the top of the hill, the sun was setting and three owls started flying around us. And I'm convinced they're the same three owls. Obviously, there's no way I can prove that, but I'm convinced they were the same three owls. Now, the first time, which was just four days earlier, they kind of, the owls kind of stayed in there. They were close, but they would swoop down kind of low over us and they would land in a tree over there and such. But the second time the owls were landing at our feet and they were landing on branches that felt close enough to touch. It's, it felt they were close and to have it happen once was pretty cool, but to have it happen twice with the same person four days later was so mystical. And I did not say this at the time. This was a cool experience. I went to, back to town before and, hey, we saw these owls. It was really cool. And I told everyone and it was nobody believed. Some people didn't believe me. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say nobody believed me, but I certainly recognized that some people did not believe me when I said it happened twice. But part of the story is when I was looking at those owls, these were real owls. They were about 10, 11 inches tall. They weren't anything big or imposing or anything like that. So they're short-eared owls, which is a very common form of owl in, in um, the Northern Rockies. I was looking at these real owls and I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. It was a very clear message in my head. And it, well, it could have been my voice. It could have been, I don't want to say an implanted voice, but it was definitely like I was looking at real owls. I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. So leading up to this experience, this event in 2006, 
I had been reading a lot of UFO literature and mostly about the abduction lore. And I had, at 44 years old, I had a handful of experiences, mostly in my youth. When I was, for instance, when I was 12 years old, I had a close-up UFO sighting with an associated orange flash in the sky. And that, and I also had a missing time event. It was about two hours of missing time surrounding that event. And I, and I also had a, what felt like a close-up UFO sighting close if it was small and would have been sort of far away if it was huge, but it's kind of hard to know. As a 12-year-old boy, I was looking out a bedroom window. It was my friend Kenny. It was his bedroom window. It was at nighttime, and we saw something that looked like a coffee can kind of descending in the nighttime sky, and we watched it for maybe 30 seconds, and it did not look like anything I'd ever seen. It wasn't a balloon. It wasn't a helicopter. It wasn't something reflected on the glass. We watched it for about 30 seconds, and then it, poof, disappeared. And we went and we ran downstairs and we drew it. We had uh, pencil and paper on the kitchen table. It was pencil and paper on the kitchen table. So we ran downstairs and we both drew separately and compared our drawings. And I still have the drawing I did. Now, there was a third experience that had been, this one's a little more telling in a way, where I would have been 30 years old and I was living alone in Maine and it was wintertime. And I woke up with a bright light shining through the bedroom window. And I was alone in the house and I kind of sat up on my elbow and looked out the window and there were five gray beings with the bald heads and the big black eyes and they were walking towards the house and they were backlit by this bright white light. Now, I that sh that was very scary, right? That should have been terrifying, but it wasn't. I mean, it was a very scary image. It should have freaked me out, but it didn't. I had I was like emotionally empty and I heard a voice in my head that said Oh, yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. And that's exactly what I did. I just laid my head on the pillow and went right to sleep, which is doesn't make sense given the, the intensity of what I was looking at. The next morning, I dismissed it entirely as a dream, and I never went, I never even went to see if there were footprints in the snow. I just, it seemed irrational. Now, years later, I'm not sure what to think. I strongly suspect that there were, that something happened that night. Now, that was when I was, that was when I was 30 years old, back to when I was 44 and camping with Kristen those two nights in the mountains and seeing those howls. I went a little crazy. Like it was so intense. Like it was, it had, it held such a power for me that I started looking into my own experiences, the experiences I just talked about. I started making phone calls. I started reaching out to UFO researchers. There was a, there's a wonderful fellow named Leo Sprinkle uh, who lives in Wyoming, which is the next state over from Idaho. I was right on the Wyoming border. And I visited him and I talked with him and I made a lot of phone calls. And, and everyone that I reached out to and talked to, I would ask this question. I would say, have you ever had any odd experiences with owls? And, and it wasn't everyone but it was enough that there was a there was a pattern involved that I was recognizing that wow there's something to do with this howl stuff this is interwoven into this so I would ask that question of people and they would say whether they were researchers or experiencers uh, the experiencers would say like wow no one's ever asked me that question and I have the weirdest story about an owl and I started collecting these stories and in 2009 which would have been three years after the event I started an online blog and initially it was just synchronicity stories which I have a lot of. And I started posting those. And very early on, I recognized I have to put the UFO stuff out there. And so that website became kind of, um, I would archive and share accounts of 
from readers and of owls around the time of UFO contact. And I started collecting them and I put a little thing right on my website that said, I want to hear your stories, your owl stories. And I started collecting them and I got a lot of them, like an absurd amount of them. Now, the first week that I started the blog, I put that story in, the story with the owls in the mountains with Kristen. And I realized that she was talking about something in the moment when we saw that first set of owls. And I, and she had moved out of the valley where we were living. She left shortly after our camping trip. She moved away and we would email and such. So I called her on the phone and I said, and I had already published this story on the blog. And I recognized that I didn't have an answer to this question. So I called her up and I asked the question, what were we talking about? That first night when we saw the first owls, I remember we were talking about something and I took note of it as, as it, it was powerful for me. And she said, oh, I remember exactly what I was talking about. I was giving my most heartfelt definition of what God meant to me. Now, like I was already in this kind of like fragile place with trying to do this research. Like I, I'm not joking when I said I felt like I went a little crazy uh, doing this research and, and digging into this stuff. And when she said that, I recognized the power of that. Now, I'm not at all churchy. Like the resonance of her mentioning God is much more like a powerful mythic thing for me rather than like a literal, you know, like a, but I recognized the power of what she said. And it made me take the research more seriously. Now, I started this saying like, well, I just ran into her. We just hung out in September, which was just a, a month ago. And, and I said, like, you knew me then. Did I, I'm saying like, I went crazy when I tell this story what do you remember of me? And she kind of laughed and she nodded and she said, yeah, you were, you got kind of obsessed. <laughs> and she was sweet about it, but it was pretty obvious that she knew just what I was talking about, that the intensity of this stuff had, you know, freaked me out. And it, and I was very unstable for a number of years. I've told people this and I don't think I'm exaggerating. I spent 95% of my waking hours wondering if I had gone insane because after that owl event, and hearing that voice in my head that says, this has something to do with UFOs, I started looking into my own experiences. Up until that point, I held all that off. I, I treated it. I didn't treat it at all. I didn't, I didn't deal with it. I was obsessively reading UFO literature. I recognized that, that I fit the pattern of people who would have these experiences, having had missing time and close-up sightings and seeing five beings in the yard. I managed to deny all of it. I was not going there. I wasn't going to deal with it. But after the owl experience, those, those seeing those owls in the mountains with Kristen, after that set of experiences, I, I started looking into it and the floodgates opened and I was at the receiving end of such powerful synchronicities. And I would say that the synchronicities all tied into either UFOs or owls. And for the next, oh, I guess, between about 2006 and about 2013, I, I was obsessed. I was really lost trying to make sense of all this stuff. And in that time, I ran a podcast and I ran this little website and, and I eventually started writing books. And the core of those books was exploring the relationship between UFOs and owls. And, you know, people would always, people would ask me, you know, like, well, Mike, what's your proof of this owl and UFO connection? Like, I, I don't buy it. Like, I don't quite get what you're talking about. What's your proof? And I kind of would roll my eyes and say, like, my email inbox, that's my proof. Like, I'm getting, I was for a while, it's calmed down lately a little bit. I was getting one good 
story a day in my email inbox of people sharing their accounts with owls and UFOs. And it wasn't always with UFOs. It was sometimes these owl stories were mystical in a way that was clear to recognize. And there would be a synchronicity involved, but it would be the core of it was the UFO contact experience. I mean, one simple story is a fellow named Derek contacted me early on and his story is, is textbook. So he's, he was camping in the desert with a friend and they had a little campfire and it was, was coming from the Midwest. So he was in the desert of Arizona where the stars are remarkable. So he was just astonished at the power of the night sky in the desert. And they looked up and there was an owl on a cactus looking down at them, glowing in the light of the campfire. And they were like pretty, like it had this ominous vibe to it, which I've heard a lot. Owls are not, it's not like seeing a bunny rabbit. They got a power to them. So the owl flew off. And then moments later, triangle-shaped craft flew directly over them and then flew down the canyon that they were in. It was hugging the landscape of the canyon. And, and I sat with Derek and he tried to explain this. He fought to try to articulate the weirdness of the motion of this craft, totally silent and did not move in any way that resembled a helicopter or an airplane or anything. A few days later, he saw another UFO and and when he told this story, he had lots of other experiences too. Experiences as a boy that seemed kind of mystical and experiences of being taken out of his bed at night that he kind of dismissed as a dream. And then he said something that really struck me. He said, you know, all these experiences, the owl and the UFO, it kind of led to a spiritual awakening. And, you know, to, for Derek to tell that story, it takes a long time. But, you know, but that is something I've heard so many times that people who have had these owl and UFO experiences, it's somehow connected or wrapped up in, or it leads to a spiritual awakening. And that, and, and if it isn't like an outright spiritual awakening, if they don't use that term, they'll say it in some other way. They'll say, I had a profound change in my life. My life totally changed directions. And in a way, that's what happened to me. I did not have, I had an owl experience there were no UFOs in it except for the message that there was, that I was looking at a real owl, heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFO. So I didn't see a UFO in the sky. I didn't see a flying saucer, but I certainly had the message about UFOs. So in the intervening years and now decade, over a decade, I've been doing this. So, you know, since 2009, I've been sort of, it feels like full-time work that I've been been struggling with these owl and UFO type things. It's not quite full-time work, but it's it's a lot. I have come to the point now where I've heard enough stories and I can, I'm happy to tell some of these stories. And these stories, if I look at them in their totality, like I've collected enough of them, so I've, I feel like I can absorb the story that's under the story, let's say, the, the meaning of these stories. And they all seem to imply they don't point to aliens on a spaceship, right? That's It, it feels like a UFO investigator is poorly suited to to try to make sense of this owl thing. Me doing this research, I have to take off my UFO investigator hat and set it aside. And then I have to put on, metaphorically, my shaman hat and ask the questions that, a, that a, what we would say a primitive shaman would ask, right? So let's say someone's walking through the forest in South Dakota 500 years ago, and they had a powerful visionary experience, mystical experience with an owl, they would be able to go to the teepee at the edge of the village and talk to the shaman. And they could get an answer from what amounted to the wise man in the village. And they would have a, a language and a 
foundation about the mystical meaning of the owl. Right now, in this modern world, we don't have that. We don't have access to that shaman. People are coming to me and asking me the question, I had this mystical experience with an owl. What does it mean? And I'm a little bit at a loss to give a, an answer because I truly don't have an answer. I can say a, th a few things that might be connected to that. And one of them would simply be to pay attention. And then I will ask the question, what was going on in your life at the time leading up to this owl experience? And then what changed after this owl experience? Derek in the desert leading up to it, he was a young adult and he was basically on this life adventure. Afterwards, after he saw the owl and UFO, he had a spiritual awakening. I was at a point in my life when I knew I needed to look into my UFO experiences and I was denying it. I was fighting it. I knew I needed to look into it. and I knew I was denying it. I had this powerful experience with owls in the mountains with Kristen. And in the aftermath, I started looking into it and my life changed directions totally. My old life ended, my new life began in so many ways after that experience with the owls. And this new life has been, oh, like a, just a form of not only self-exploration to understand my own experiences, but to make sense of other people's powerful owl experiences. On this show, owls reoccurring theme. Did owls have a power to a, look at what they represent there? Enigmatic, the mysterious, mystical, nocturnal, wise. They have this thing about them. And owls are not really commonly seen. I mean, you won't go outside and guarantee to see a, see an owl. You know, it's very rare that you'd even see it. I think I've, I've seen an owl probably two or three times over the last few years. You think it's like a marker. Well, I'm at the point now, yes, where it is a marker. Like I'm at the point now where I'm treating reality as if it were a dream, right? So there's a dream symbolism, right? If you had a powerful dream and you went to um, the gypsy fortune teller or someone who could uh, analyze a dream, whether a Jungian analyst, let's say, so, you know, sort of a trained academic in dream analysis, you know, you could pick out details in the dream and look at them symbolically. Like I've, I'm at the point right now where I'm looking at reality, real life that way. Here, I'll tell a story this. So I did a talk one time and in the talk, I played a sound effect. It was audio that I got offline and it was the sound of an Eastern screech owl. And they make a funny little horse whinny. They're not a very big owl. They're all of about seven inches tall, but there's their sound. It feels like a, like a baby horse whinny. It's a funny little noise. And that tied into someone's experience where they, this is, so I'll tell this whole thing. So the experience that I tied into, the woman who was editing my, my books, she helped me edit my books. Her name is Suzanne Chancellor. She was hearing this funny noise out the window and she didn't know what it was. Her and her husband were both like, you know, what is this noise? And so, uh, they realized afterwards because she found it online. She realized that that's the sound of an Eastern screech owl. So she heard it in a tree one night and she got her phone and she went out into the yard. It was in the neighbor's apple tree and she was walking. It was right on the edge of her yard and she was walking with the phone. She could hear the owl in the tree and she held the phone up. Now she was doing this for me so that I could hear the owl. She was recording it. She said, I am going to record this for Mike. So she went out and she held this phone up to record it in the apple tree and she looked in the apple tree and there was a glowing floating orange orb, like a glowing orange orb in the tree and she looked at it, kind of went poof and vanished and the owl hooting stopped. And that that is surprisingly common, that story. <laughs> I've got that one in my files a lot. Now, so I told that story at a, at a conference 
And to tell it correctly, I got the downloaded the sound of a Eastern screech owl. And when I played it at the conference, a guy came up to me afterwards. He was a little nervous. And he bought a book and I signed it and we sat and talked for a little bit. And he said, um, that noise you played of the Eastern screech owl, that noise, I, I, I've been hearing that coming out of the baby monitor of my son's room, my little, my little infant boy. And that was a tough thing for me to hear. Like that was a scary thing. And I could tell he was shook up. He got back to me later and he said, I just had this experience and I, I was driving home from work and to come home from work, I was crossing a bridge. And as soon as I crossed the bridge, it was full daylight. It was the afternoon and owl flew right up against my windshield and almost hit it and flew off. And it's, he said, it scared the crap out of me. Like I was totally freaked out. And then the fellow continued driving on, totally sh shaken up having seen this owl almost hit his windshield and he's driving along and less than a half a mile later, he looks off to his left and there's a giant copper colored UFO hovering above this kind of dreary, ugly industrial park on the side of the highway. And he said, caught up in traffic, he couldn't stop. He didn't sense anyone else saw it. And he said, this thing was rising up into the clouds. It was a cloudy day and it kind of rose up and got lost in the clouds as he was moving forward in traffic. So he lost sight of it. And then he said, yeah, oh, by the way, um, I was listening to a talk you had given on UFOs and owls. It was I was listening to it as I was driving, and um, and so I was listening to your your talk as I was as this all this happened. And I was like, what? Wait, what? You were listening to my voice talking about owls and UFOs, and you saw an owl and a UFO. And he said, yeah, yeah. So so <laughs> this is for me. How do I how do I make sense of that? Wow, like that's. Like, not only did he have an owl and UFO sighting, but he was listening to my voice talking about owls and UFOs. So when I try to make sense of this, this feels like dream logic. Like the most, and oddly for me, the most important part of this story in for me was the bridge. Because the bridge is dream symbolism, right? If you were, if you had a dream that you saw an owl and a UFO and it happened just as you crossed a bridge, the dream and someone who's analyzing your dream would say, wow, the bridge is a powerful symbolic element. It's neither here nor there, right? It's between two worlds. You're crossing this netherworld, the river. And, and it was so a bridge in poetry and in fiction is often used as a narrative tool to, for someone to do the change in their life, marking a change in their life. So the bridge is liminal. It's neither here nor there. It's connected to these two worlds that are divided by the river. So he has this owl sighting the moment he crosses the bridge, just as he crosses the bridge. And I can't separate that from the bigger picture. Suzanne, she's the woman, Suzanne Chancellor, she's very open about her UFO contact experiences. And her partner, Jack, also has had UFO contact experiences. Now, Jack had read my first book and he read it at night. He just finished it. He got the last page at night in my book and he finished the book. He was reading it on Kindle. So he kind of had his little tablet and he got to the last page and finished the book and said, you know, I want to see an owl. So he went outside and he looked in the sky and there was this bright dot in the nighttime sky. And it was, it's really interesting because he said he can't call it a UFO. He said it looked like someone had taken a razor blade and cut a little slit in the fabric of the nighttime sky and shone a light from behind the fabric of the night sky. And it lit up as this little minus sign in the, in the nighttime sky. And 
and he watched it for about 10 seconds and he kind of looked away and looked back and it was gone. So he said, you know, it's like not a UFO because it, it was something else entirely. It wasn't a flying object. It was something weirder than that. Now, so here's three stories. Suzanne, the fellow who crossed the bridge, and Jack. And they they all are tied into me. Suzanne was trying to record the owl in the apple tree for me. She said, I'm going to get this recording for Mike. Jack had just finished my book. And he said, I want to see an owl. And he saw a UFO instead. And Mike kind of hit the home run in a way where he had an owl and UFO sighting while listening to my voice. I recognize how weird that is. Like I recognize I am somehow intertwined in this weird mystery. I have so many stories that mirror the power of those stories. And I just have to, I just have to be at peace, which I wasn't for a long time. And it shook me up when I heard Mike tell me that story. That's the fellow's name that crossed the bridge. When he told me that story, it shook me up. I have found a sense of peace with it. I'm still astonished by it, but it no longer, um, it was, I've just found, I felt it wasn't serving me to be so anxious about these encounters when, when people would have an owl UFO and somehow it tied directly into me. So I have been on this, I'll just call it a journey to make sense of these stories. Uh, here, I'll tell one more that, that does not have a UFO in it, but it speaks to the power of these accounts. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. So I grew up in Michigan and, and there's a little Indian reservation, which I never even knew it was there. And this guy contacts me. He's living in this Indian reservation. And I looked at it on the map and it wasn't much. It just looked like a little neighborhood. So it didn't, it was listed as a, as a, as a Native American reservation, but it didn't look like much on the map. It was small and just like a simple, like a, a neighborhood in upstate Michigan. Now, as a 12 year old boy, he was flying a kite and he had a, it was kind of a specialized kite that you could steer. So it had, uh, it wasn't just a simple ball of string. It had like a little, uh, a way to wind the string on this special mechanism where you could steer the kite in flight. And something that had never happened before, a huge gust of wind came along. The kite was up in the air and it dragged the kite and it yanked the little string mechanism out of his hand. So he lost the string and, the, and wasn't holding it anymore. And the kite flew way high in the sky and he watched it go into the woods nearby. 
So he got a friend and he said, I want to find that kite. That's my favorite kite. Like, I, I, I want to get that thing. So they went into the woods to look for the kite. And they eventually saw the kite tangled up in a tree, high in a tree. So they made their way to the tree. And at the base of the tree was an owl all wrapped up in the string. And they realized the owl was going to die if they didn't un get it out of the string. So they, they went and got a friend, an adult, and the adult came. And they cut the owl out of the string. And the owl, they nursed the owl back to health. It was injured because of the string. And so they nursed it back to health and eventually released it. And he told me the story. And then I asked him, I said, are you a shaman? And he said, oh, man. In a word, yes. Now, the reason I asked him if he was a shaman is because of all the stories I've heard of owls showing up in connection with shamanic apprenticeship or a shamanic initiation. That's very well understood within the shamanic community, which is, I guess, in North America here, it's very private and very closed off as far as the, how the North American First Nation people keep their traditions to themselves. They're very private about their shamanic things. But I, I've had people tell me powerful stories about owls at the time of shamanic initiation. So when this young boy at 12 years old, he's now an adult, had his experience of, of which to me, how to say this, like that's like a parable, right? Like that story of a kite, the kite string, well, a little boy loses his kite and it entraps an owl and he saves the owl's life that gets caught up in his string and he later becomes a shaman. That has a, has such a elusive mystical narrative to it. I'm now at the, at the point where I'm I've taken many steps back from the nuts and bolts idea of UFOs. I'm seeing it much more as a mystical experience. And the owl is sort of a totem or the spirit animal of this contact experience. So here's a guy without any UFO experiences, but he has a story which has the power and the flavor of the stories I'm collecting that are associated with UFOs. This is something that I'm struggling with, and I'm putting this out here because I, I don't have an answer for this one. But here's what happens. So I talk to people on the phone all the time about their owl experiences. And w whether I'm talking to them on the phone or through an email exchange and stuff like that, I'll just take notes when I'm talking to someone on the phone. I don't really take that many notes. I give like the date, the guy's name, the email address, real simple stuff. And then when I'm, before I start talking and I'm writing this stuff, and I'll just write in the corner of the page, I'll write Reiki. The, it's a Japanese ancient Japanese form of hands-off energy healing. And I'll just wait. And it's not everyone, but then I'll kind of get to the end of the conversation and like, oh, we'll be winding down. I'll say, hey, what do you do for work? And they'll say, oh, I'm a, a Reiki therapist. Or they'll say, oh, you know what's here? I just got my uh, my level three Reiki. I'm a level three Reiki master. I just got my, my mastery. The fellow Jack that I just talked about earlier, he's a Reiki therapist. Uh, the fellow Mike, he's a nurse. So he's also doing healing work. So within this mystery is, I don't even know how to begin. I would have to say, I'm going to, I'm doing this off the top of my head and I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to say that 60% of the people who contact me with an owl and UFO experience either are a Reiki therapist or are, or they are doing some sort of mystical healing work that would be synonymous with a Reiki healing. There's not many Reiki healers in, you know, the general public. I don't know what the, I mean, it'd have to be like way less than half of 1%, but over 50% of the people that have owl and UFO experiences are Reiki healers. This blows my mind. I don't know what to think of it. Why are these things so intertwined? So there's something about this owl and UFO thing. So I'm not looking at the, I'm not looking at the grand UFO mystery, right? I'm not looking at the big totality of UFO contact and UFO sightings. I'm looking at the narrowest, thinnest little fractal within this 
this big complicated subject. I'm just looking, I'm just like, basically I want to hear your owl story and I'm not being an objective researcher. I'm totally subjective. This is personal for me. This is my story too. So I'm like going, coming at this for my own needy, selfish reasons. Cause I want to make sense of this. And this Reiki thing shows up in the, in the larger mystery. And like that to me is such a powerful clue. Like the, the way I sense it is that, that, that we need healers in this planet. I think we're like so much is messed up in our, in the in human existence right now. And that there are people who are doing this very gentle form of therapy where you don't touch the person, you just put your hands over and people have had remarkable healing experiences through Reiki. I've had several Reiki sessions and I found relief from, I had an operation some years ago and I had, it was actually Jack who did it. The fellow Jack did it, gave me a Reiki session and it, I was having, um, after the operation, I just felt like I wasn't fully healing. And I went through the Reiki session and I felt like I made advancements in, like, I felt like the healing accelerated and I was much better at the end of that Reiki session. So I'm, I'm forced to, to conclude that there is something much deeper and much more mystical at play in this mystery than just little scientists on a metal spaceship coming from another planet here to examine earthlings. There's something much richer and much more complicated and much more nuanced and much more mysterious in a way that I never, never expected when I started asking people, you know, have you had any odd experiences with owls? I did not expect this depth to emerge from the research. I, it's, it's well understood in my little corner. Like I'm not the average UFO researcher. Like I recognize how quirky my research is and how, how hyper-specific it is that I'm focusing on the owl thing. Like I'm fully aware that I'm, I'm not a generalist. This is a story that, again, does not have UFOs in it, but it speaks to the weird power of the owls. Guy contacts me. He lives in uh, the East Coast in his family runs a, a apple orchard, an organic apple orchard. And he meditates in his yard, in the orchard, out behind his house. And he's got a spot in the back and it's kind of against the fence and just past the fence is the, is the forest. So he's meditating there in the forest, oh, excuse me, in the apple orchard at the edge of the forest. And he hears this loud screeching noise coming out of the forest and it's loud. And, and it scares him. It says it like the hair on the back of his neck, like rises up and every part of him, every part of him felt like I got to get out of here. I got to run away from this. And he said, no, I'm curious. I, I want to face this. I want to see what this noise is. So he went into the forest and, and he saw a barred owl on a branch, kind of at eye level close to him. And this thing was staring at him and screeching. And, and he said, he said, this thing was looking right at me and it was chewing me out. It was chewing me out. It was giving me a hard time. Its eyes were locked on me and it was screeching at me. And so a barred owl, they are the loudest North American owl. And they sound like, like a chimpanzee in a Tarzan movie. They have that crazy jungle screech and they are loud. Boy, I mean, I've heard them out. I have them in the real close to where I live here and I hear him at night and wow, they're loud. So he's confronted with this thing. It's screeching right at his face and it eventually flies off and he goes back to the house and he's, he's like, his wife is there and he says, oh my, I just had this incredible experience with this owl. And it like looked at me and it was chewing me out and it was screeching and it scared me. And it was, it was like, like it's this incredibly powerful experience. And his wife kind of goes, oh, that's nice, honey. Um, 
hey, why don't you um, set the dinner for table for dinner? And he's, oh, she didn't get it. She didn't understand the power of it. She sits with his kids and he says, you know what just happened? I was just out in the woods and there was this owl was screeching at me. He was looking, looking at me, looking at me. And the kids were not interested in the slightest. And so he's like, oh, they don't get it. So he grabs his camera after dinner and he walks back out into the forest and he goes to the same spot and he yells to the woods. He says, hey, my kids, my wife, they don't believe me. I need a picture. And the owl flies back and lands on a branch, takes a picture, and the owl flies off. I have the picture. I use it in my talks. And when he told me this whole story, I said, I said, what were you meditating? What were you meditating about? And he said, I was meditating on the existence of God. So that that takes me right back to the account, in a way, of Kristen in the mountains, where she was talking about God. He was asking, is there a God? And an owl came and shooed him out. Like, how dare you ask that question? <laughs> that story is like, and again, it, it feels more like a dream. It feels more like a parable, feels more like a a myth or a campfire story. This was a real experience. And the reason that, and I'm so glad I asked what he was meditating about, because that, that question, you know, is there a God? What happens when you, when two thoughtful people have a conversation about UFOs, it should take about three minutes before they go right up to the, right up to the big questions. You know, who are we? What, why are we here? What does it all mean? Where do we go when we die? Is there a God? Like it should, if if two people are thoughtful, they shouldn't be talking about radar returns and burn marks in the yard. They should go right to the deepest questions that have followed humanity all throughout human history. Why are we here? What does it all mean? And that to me is what, what the UFO lore forces me to go that deep. It forces me to ask those questions. You're confronted with a genuine mystery, like a powerful mystery, a multi-leveled mystery. And if you stay up on the surface. There's new UFOs are all over the news right now, right? It's all about Navy pilots and and aircraft carriers and and video footage of a little tic tac. But those people aren't I find those stories deadly dull. They are only touching the surface. And below that is there is a depth to these accounts that every researcher knows. I know a lot of the people who do the nuts and bolts research and you get them at the bar at a UFO conference and it's like, well what about this mystical stuff? What about this you know, like, what about people? Like, well, here's something that's really common. People who see UFOs, they start having ESP. They start having psychic experiences. It's well understood. Everyone knows it. Nobody on that, you know, the the public face of the UFO researcher that shows up on, uh, you know, 60 Minutes and Fox News and stuff like that. Those people, they know that. They fully understand that this is part. They don't mention it. They want to be taken seriously. I don't care. Like, I don't care if anyone takes me seriously. I'm I'm doing this for selfish reasons. I'm trying to, like, untangle my own stories, my own experiences. And so that aspect, people have psychic experiences. People see a UFO, they'll have powerful psychic experience. A woman, her name is Maria Wheatley, and she does crop circle research as well as, like, ancient sites uh, researching ancient sites in England. And I've met her a few times and I've spoken with her on the phone. And when I heard her talk, I heard her talk on a podcast and I was like, oh, this woman's got to have an all experience. So I just got on the, I'm, I'm shameless. I'm like, I don't waste any time. If I want to, if I reach right out to people and I'm like, I want to hear your owl story. So I just sent her a note and I said, do you have any owl stuff? And she's got right back to me. She said, yeah, I got a, I got a really powerful owl story. She was with a friend and they were going to take a walk in the woods. And it was evening and, and they were going to do a long walk in the woods and say, just left the car and they were just about to start on a trail in the woods. And as soon as they started on the trail, an owl, a white barn owl crossed the trail and they both felt it the same thing. They both felt that they were being told, do not cross the line. 
the owl put a line across the trail and they felt, they both felt it. They said, we are not allowed to walk on this trail. So they turned around and they were near a, a hill that's called Oliver's Castle. And so they, I think it's in Wiltshire County, I'm not sure, but they, they walked up to the top of the hill and got a beautiful view of the surrounding area. And at the top of the hill, like there was an orange orb, like off in the distance, like this big orange thing. And it was kind of floating towards them and it changed shape. It like grew huge. And then it grew like into a giant, a cigar shape. It like stretched out like this huge cigar shape and then changed shape and it shrunk back down and poof, it disappeared. And they were both freaked out and scared. Her friend was more scared than they were. And they, she tells about like, they ran back down to the car and they said he was shaking so hard. He couldn't get the key, unlock the door with the key. He was shaking so hard. And both of them after this event had psychic experiences. He said that he would go into the pub and he could read everyone's mind. He could read everyone's thoughts in the mind. And it scared him. It like was totally freaked him out. And she was doing um, tarot reading as like a little side business. And she said after that event, her ability to do tarot was like had changed totally. Like she had a deeper mystical set of skills at doing the tarot readings. Now, both of these things eased off, right? The fellow with his, his psychic experiences kind of went back down to what would be normal. And, and But she said it has her, she has stayed at this higher level of being able to do tarot readings. So this mystical stuff, tarot readings and psychic experiences are tied into this. Here's a perfect story. Owl, UFO, right? I'll tell one more that's that I almost feel mirrors this story. There's a crop circle researcher. His name is um, Bert Jansen. He's Dutch and he spends his summers or he used to spend his summers doing um, ancient tours, very similar to what Maria Wheatley does, is giving tours uh, around the ancient sites in, in England, um, going to Stonehenge and Avebury and, and Silbury Hill and things like that. So he, this was going back some years, he had been going year after year after year to the crop circle areas in England and documenting and writing and uh, researching these crop circles. And he, he was the end of the summer. And he's like, you know, I've been doing this for a bunch of years in a row. I'm done. Like, I don't need to do this anymore. As he was having that thought, he's standing in a field, sun is setting. He says, you know, I'm done. I don't need to crop circles. I'm done. I've seen it all, done it all, but I, I'm not going to add anything new to this mystery. There's this orange orb that floats across the field and it kind of goes big and it gets small and it kind of, you know, changes sizes. And then there's a, a little shed at the edge of this farmer's field. And the sun is setting and it's kind of twilight and this little orange orange is kind of floating across the landscape. And so imagine you can follow it with your eye, right? So he's following with his eye and it goes behind the, the shed and he, he watches and he's waiting for it to come out the other side and nothing happens. It doesn't come out the other side. So he, he's like, what just happened? So he like goes to the shed. He's like, did something happen on the backside of the shed? So he goes to the backside of the shed and, and he looks up and there's the height that the it's a little two-story shed, and at the top apex, there's a window, and the window is broken. The glass is broken at the top window, and that was right about the level that the orange orb flew past the shed at the height of this broken window. And he says, like, could it be? Could that orange orb have gone into the shed? That's certainly what it seems like. So he put his ear against the door. The door was locked, and, and he heard this eerie hissing noise, this hiss, hiss. And it scares him, this eerie, creepy hiss. And he's like, oh, I'm like, it's getting dark. I'm... So he comes back the next day and he, I give him a lot of credit. He breaks the lock <laughs> and he goes into the shed and he's in the shed and he hears this eerie hissing like up in the loft. Hiss. He's a super creepy thing. And he, and he climbs up the ladder and he looks in the loft and there's a family of barn owls right at that level. And 
And the barn owls, if you hear that, especially baby barn owls make this creepy hissing noise. It's really, it's like a haunted house sound. And so he's like, could it be like, what did I see? I saw an orange orb, but it, it took me to these owls. So that's exactly the opposite of Maria Wheatley's story. She had an owl that said, you can't walk in this path. She climbed a hill and saw an orange orb. Bert Jansen saw an orange orb and it led him to seeing owls. Now, if I ask the question, the shaman questions, like what was going on in your life leading up to this event? I asked that of Bert Jansen. He says, well, I was getting ready to say, I'm done doing crop circle research. I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm not learning anything. I'm done. I'm going to walk away from it. He's still doing crop circle research. Consequently, because of that orange orb and owl experience. If I ask Maria Wheatley, like, you know, the same questions, like what happened after your owl experience, your owl and UFO experience? She would say, oh, I had a, I had a heightened psychic abilities. This is interwoven into the mystery. And if you ignore this, you have to willfully ignore this because it is so obvious and is so intertwined with this mystery when you really immerse yourself in the research. You know, you never really leave the subject. You know, there's a lot of people which take some, a bit of time out, you know, a couple of years away, but they all eventually end up coming back because there is such a pull to the subject. What you said earlier, ufology and nuts and bolts and all that, I've always, I've always said the same thing. It always, I always think of it as being like a, like an iceberg, you know, nuts and bolts as being what's above the surface. Then the spiritual aspect of it all, which is important and should never ever be ignored, that's below the surface. And that is the, the greatest mass of the iceberg is a spiritual side of it. I agree. I agree. Whether it's spiritual or consciousness, you know, there's kind of in the in the the lore right now or within the community that's they they, they use the word consciousness, like the consciousness aspect of it. I, I went to a UFO conference and I, I try to dress nice when I go to the conference and I usually, you know, wear a blazer and kind of if nobody knows who I am, I can float through and talk to anyone. So it's very interesting. That's the people who are doing the nuts and bolts research. Some of it is powerful and interesting. So they're they're engaging to talk to. You know, you have these conversations with folks. And then the love and light crowd, you know, the consciousness crowd, they, they're also really interesting to talk to. So I can float in between these two. When I talked at my first UFO conference, I had a little name tag. And I was in the, you know, said, and it was I was the guy that was going to give the owl talk. I felt it like the nuts and bolts researchers didn't want to talk to me. They, um, I felt shunned by the nuts and bolts researchers, you know? And I also felt at the same time, I felt embraced by the love and light crowd, the consciousness crowd. I'm going to, I'm going to make a very simplistic, what I'm about to say is, is not hundred percent true, but most of the nuts and bolts researchers are men. And most of the love and light consciousness researchers are women. And I would say that a lot of them on both sides of the camps, if you talk to them, they're experiencers. They have had contact experiences. There, I would argue to say that there are very few. <laughs> I'm tempted to say there are zero. That's probably not true. But there are very few people researching in this field who have not had the direct experience. And when I say the direct experience, I'm not going there. I'm saying they have been, they have had UFO contact experiences. Some would call it abduction. Some would call it, you know, contact. But the number of people, and sometimes I go back to the thing, I get them, you know, sit at the bar with them for a little while and get a couple glasses of wine in them, and they'll tell you the stories that sure sounds the kind of things that, a, that a, uh, an abductee would say. So I'm cautious to paint with too broad a brush here, but that is certainly the pattern. And, you know, the implication is that it was their, well, not the implication, you know, very clearly that their own direct experience led them to start researching the, the subject and led them to be fascinated by the subject. 
So I agree. It depends on their actual experiences and how they've kind of been brought into the subject. If people really want to get answers, you know, you have to look at the whole the whole pie you know you have to look at everything you can't just look at the nuts and bolts side of things because it's more ex- mainstream acceptable now and i and i recognize that i am the worst i'm the worst at it because i'm not looking at the whole pie like i'm focused on just the, the the little edge of the pie the tiniest little crumb on the on the next to the pie is what i'm focused on this owl stuff and when i when i started this researcher i was kind of like yeah you know i'll write a little magazine length essay and and i'll put a couple blog posts out and i'll you know i'll sum it all up you know, the owl UFO mystery. That is not what happened. It has been a bottomless pit and it proves to be endlessly fascinating and endlessly rewarding how how the depth of these stories, the power of these stories. So I had something I call my confirmation event and it happened on March 10th, 2013. And it is a, it's actually a collection of three accounts that line up on a map. And to tell this story takes, oh, got it. To tell it right takes about a half hour, 45 minutes. But... I was camping the desert with my friend Natasha. We were driving around the desert and the beautiful Southwest desert of the United States around Utah and Arizona. And um, we were coming home from a UFO conference. We were driving back to my house in Idaho. And if you look at a map, you start in Arizona and you go to Idaho, you got to go right through Utah. And Utah is an incredibly beautiful place. So we're camping in the desert on this road called the Burr Trail Road. This is in a very remote part of North America. And so she's from Germany and she came to the United States to go to the conference and to travel around with me. And so she's totally jet lagged, so she can't sleep. And I've been driving all day and I'm tired. And so we, we're sleeping out in the sand in this near this road and it's this beautiful desert environment and there's a trillion stars out. And she kind of wakes me up and says, Mike, I can't sleep, what do I do? And I'm like, um, take a walk. It's a beautiful night. She said, really? It's, oh yeah, this is a very safe part of the world. <laughs> you know, they don't worry about anything. There's nobody on this road at night. So don't worry about that. And so, okay. So she walks off. Now she walks off and I'm lying there and she walks away and I am listening to the, there's like a great horned owl and they have the most beautiful low hooting sound. It's the classic hooting owl. It's a unmistakable call. And so this Great horned owl is in the bush right near where I'm lying. And I can't see it. Like this little bush, little scrubby juniper bush, not very big. And I can't see it. I don't know why there's the owls in there. Like I can hear it. It's right there, right next to me. I hear it so clearly booming in this silent desert environment. And I'm like, I'm so enamored with this kind of stuff, right? It's I'm sleeping outside under the stars. I get to listen to this owl. It is wonderful. It's I feel blessed. It's a magical, beautiful moment for me. And Natasha's walking down this road and she walks down the road and she she's she says that it was so beautiful. There was such a weird energy. It she said it felt like I was sparkling. She said that the stars lit up the, there was no moon, but the stars lit it up enough that she could walk down this road. She had no need for a flashlight or a light or anything like that. And she looks off into the into the sagebrush on the side of the road. And there's a, like she thought someone was out there with a flashlight. But she realized very quickly it was moving too smoothly. It was like in this eerie smooth motion as it hovered across the, the sagebrush. And she said, that's a floating orb. And she said it would shrink down. It would grow up to be about, blow up to be about the size of a big beach ball and then shrink back down. And it's kind of floating along and it floats towards her and then poof. It like flashes, it like disappears, explodes and disappears. And it scares her. Then all of a sudden she's like, what is going on? And she's scared and she runs back to me and she wakes me up and says, we got to leave. She explains, what what, what happened? She said, I just saw this floating orb. So we got in the car and left. Now, UFO, floating orb, it's unidentified flying object. 
as she's maybe, I don't know, a quarter mile away at the max from where I was lying. And she sees a UFO as I'm listening to an owl simultaneously. I asked her, did you hear the owl? She said, no, I didn't hear the owl. That doesn't make sense to me. That does not make sense to me. The clear desert night sound just echoes and booms and goes for forever. She should have very clearly heard that loud owl from where she was. I'm, I've looked at maps. I've asked her about it. doesn't make any sense at all. So what was I hearing? Was there an owl in the tree, right? Was there an owl in a tree when Suzanne held her phone up to the tree? She heard an owl hooting, but there was an orange flash. So that event on this mystical landscape, right? This, this beautiful wilderness landscape and an owl and UFO where like neither of them seem real, right? So the floating orb, like there's, it's just like, it's not like it's a metal ship. It's like this little translucent ball of light. The owl in a way doesn't seem real. It was too loud. It was too perfect. I couldn't see it. I should have been able to see it. I couldn't see it. She didn't hear the hooting. I did it. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm confronted with this mystery. Like it feels like, it feels like dream logic. It was a real event. It doesn't make sense logically. It makes it makes sense if you analyze it using dream logic. Like we both had simultaneous experiences, hers with a UFO, mine with an owl. I don't know what to make of it. I'm and what it did was this story was was lined up on a map with two other equally powerful stories. And that when those things lined up on a map, I was done. Like I had I recognized that these things were were happening in my life. Like I was pretty stubborn. Like I was denying this stuff for years when I knew somehow deep down that this stuff was really happening, but I could not face it. And that set of experiences and that including that one with an owl and UFO like forced me to take this stuff seriously. Telepath is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter at paranormal.radio. That's paranormal.radio. I did a hypnosis session and a lot of stuff emerged. I'm happy to talk about it. It, go, it takes a little while to talk about it, but I did a session with a woman named Yvonne Smith in California. So before we started the session, I asked Yvonne to interject at some point and ask me while I was under hypnosis to ask me, you know, what's up with all the owls? You know, I figured I would be in this um, sort of vulnerable state where she could access, let's say, my subconscious. Like, for, you know, nobody really knows what's going on in hypnosis. There's no real definition or real true understanding of what hypnosis is. So it's a, it's a sort of a mystery. So while I was in that mysterious mindset, I wanted her to ask me, you know, what's up with all the owls? So we had the session. A lot came up. It's really powerful stuff. I'm happy to talk about it. But what was incredible in a way was we kind of wound down the session. We kind of got through the meat of the session. It was a few hours. It was more than a few hours we were talking. And then, you know, I was lying there on the couch in this relaxed state, essentially felt like we were done. And she said, and Mike, what is your connection to owls? And without skipping a beat, I said, the owls aren't important. 
And that's really strange because I never would say that, like, right? My life had been taken over by owls. And my life had been, you know, for almost 10 years, like that was the f- center of my studies and my own, you know, wrestling with my own experiences was all tied into this owl stuff. So the owls were incredibly important. They were the most important thing in my life. So I said, the owls aren't important. And I also said it in this way that was very clear and very calm and very straightforward. And, and when you listen to an, to the transcript of hypnosis. It's often these little teeny kind of fragmented, whispery, broken sentences. You don't talk in your normal cadence. And she asked me, what is your connection to owls? And I said, the owls aren't important. I said it beautifully and clearly. And then I went on to say, and I've done this many times, this little thing, this is like seared into my mind. I said, the owls aren't important. The owls are a symbol on a door. It is the door that is important. The owl is the correct symbol for the door, but the owls aren't important. We are on this side of the door in a tight, claustrophobic little hallway. And on the other side of the door is an infinite vastness. And I have no idea where that came from. And that that reads like poetry. I have gone back and talked with Yvonne, and I, I literally have asked, was I channeling? Was I like channeling some other, some other source? And she said, well, there's no way to know, right? How would we know? And, but it, I, but the tone and tenor of my voice is entirely different for that short little poetic statement. You know, the owls aren't important. They are this correct symbol for the door. It is the door that's important. And in a way that has been what I have I have been fighting, not fighting, let's say. Well, I guess fighting, yeah. So I've been I've been digging and trying to better understand this mystery. And my sense is that there's a, how to say this? For me, the UFO contact experience, as well as the owls, as well as the powerful synchronicities, as well as the seemingly mystical experiences that well up around this set of mysteries, is evidence of a deeper reality. Like we are living on the surface reality and there is a deeper reality that is at play. And that's a difficult concept to get across, but that is my sense after over a decade of this research that whatever's going on in our day-to-day lives, there's also a parallel reality that's taking place at some deeper level. And it is using symbolism like, right, a UFO is a symbol, an owl is a symbol, like it's using these symbolic elements, like a dream, like a, like a poet, like a storyteller would use. And it is peppering our lives, whether overtly, you know, like a powerful, like, you know, looking at an owl and having it say, you know, this has something to do with the UFOs, like that kind of message, or something very, very subtle. And so my sense is that, you know, we are the owl is forcing us to confront this parallel reality. The UFO is forcing us to confront this parallel reality. The power of a synchronicity is forcing us to confront this parallel reality. And there are lessons interwoven in that other realm that are, that are emerging into our lives and surfacing into our lives. And my takeaway point in all this, my gut tells me that this is somehow important. These lessons that rise up, these messages that make themselves known are important for us 
as individuals and maybe even collectively as a society to pay attention to and to to use them to steer the course of our lives. That's fascinating, Mike. When people contact you about their owl stories, how do you differentiate between just a normal sighting of an owl to something a little bit deeper? Oh, yeah, I think you would know right away when there's something deeper connected to the story. Oh, yeah, you just... So what I'm getting is stories, and this is how I... This is how I've been framing all this stuff as stories. So people come and want to share their stories. They arrive at my email inbox and they tell me their story. So some stories are, you know, very simple. Like, oh, you know, gosh, I remember I was, you know, like I saw a beautiful owl, you know, while walking the dog the other night. And it was just a really beautiful, cool sighting. And it had a nice vibe to it. And it was really impressive. And and those stories, I'm like, oh, yeah, the, well, yeah, thank you for writing. And and yes, owls are a remarkably uh, powerful they have a they have a remarkable presence to them, yeah. So I I got a lot of those. I don't necessarily archive those in the same way um, that I do other stories. Okay, here's a good example of kind of the strangeness that I'm confronting here. Uh, I was at a uh, UFO conference in Maine, and this is going back, I guess, to about 2014 or so, maybe 2013. And there was a um, there was a group of people after the conference that all went up to a lake house in in rural Maine, and there was it was a cabin on this lake, and it was uh, the, one of the organizers of the conference. Their family had this cabin, but what happened was there were tons and tons of people that were there, so it was too the cabin was too small to fit everyone. So we all hung out in the yard, and there was a little beach you could walk down to, and we sat on the beach, and and they had tents set up you know, just like tents in this backyard, this little teeny backyard. Everything else was real forested, so you couldn't put the tents in. It was these tight woods. So these tents were all packed in, so you could hardly walk between the tents, you know. And uh, and then people were sleeping in the backyard like that. So there came a point in the evening when everyone said, let's go down to the water and and let's try to summon a, a sighting. Let's try to, you know, do a do a like a ritual, like a um, like a like a contact event, you know. Like let's let's try to manifest a, a sighting. So we all went down, and it was funny. I have to say, it was actually funny because there was a lot of people there, and a lot of people were very, you know, this these a lot of these people were experiencers. So there was this weird, funny energy that I actually found a little bit uncomfortable, where everyone was like, okay, let's manifest this thing, and and all these people, and I'll say also that it was the majority of them were women, and they were all pointing to this one spot in the sky. And they said, it's going to happen right there. And they're like, yeah, it's going to happen right there. It's going to happen right there. And I actually felt a little bit uncomfortable. The energy was kind of oppressive. And I backed out and I kind of walked away and I talked with a friend and we were kind of around a corner. And so we weren't really on the beach, but we were right there close to the beach. And then we heard everyone on the beach go, whoa, I don't know, maybe 20 people all at the same time, little teeny beach. And it was a wooded area. So there was this little teeny, um, tiny sandy peninsula that sort of jutted out into the lake. It was a beautiful spot. And it was a full moon. It was really a beautiful spot. And and I ran down there and like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And I said, everyone said, wow, we just had this incredible sighting right where we had been pointing. And it was this, they described it as um, like a slow motion flash bulb, right? So like a, like the, the old fashioned flash bulb on an old fashioned camera would go, you know, poof and kind of give that flash. But they said it was slow motion, like went and came into sight and then whoosh and then sunk out of sight. And they were all, everyone was like, wow, that was super cool. And it was probably around midnight, let's say around that time. And so everyone left except for two people. And they, that was, um, Pam and Carol, these two friends of mine. I don't want to use their last names, but they're, one of them actually is on a uh, ghost hunting show. And so, so Pam and Carol were there 
at the beach and they stayed at the beach while everyone else left. And it was a really pretty spot. But, you know, I'll tell you, it was autumn and it was cold. So they were sitting on the beach and it was it would have been tough to hang out. It was just cold enough that you, you wouldn't want to just sit around. So they were sitting there and they were talking a little bit and, and then they looked at their watch and it was three in the morning. And they were like, no way, no way. Three hours did not just disappear. No way did three hours just disappear. And it was scared them. They both have had UFO contact experiences in their life. They knew exactly what that meant to have three hours of missing time. There was no disruption. There was no, there was no hint that something had happened. It just felt seamless. They were talking a little bit, you know, they felt that maybe 20 minutes had gone by and three hours had gone by and it scared them. So they walked back to the, to where everyone was in the tents and stuff like that. And by this time, everything was quiet. Everyone was asleep in the tents. And let me go back Two of the people at that event were Suzanne Chancellor and her partner, Jack. And they were, they were at this weekend event. And th those are the folks I talked about earlier. And Suzanne is the one who, um, she's trying to record the owl with her phone and then had a bright orange flash in the apple tree. And then Jack was the one who finished reading my book and saw the little dash illuminated in the nighttime sky. And they are both experiencers. So Pam and Carol were in one tent and Jack and Suzanne were in the tent next to him. And Jack, during that day, I sat with Jack and it was like totally weekend at the beach. So he's got like a, like a there's a pretty lounge chair and it was sun was out and he's sitting there in a the lounge chair drinking a beer. And he's like, you know, I feel like I'm turning into my dad. Like I hear my voice and I hear my dad's voice coming out of my mouth. And, and I just really feel like my dad's here this weekend. I really feel like it. You know, his dad had died recently. And so it was a really kind of sweet moment. Like he was kind of smiling and he's like, wow, well, you know, like I really feel like he's here. So Jack and Suzanne, their tent is right next to Pam and Carol's tent. So Pam and Carol come into the, they kind of make their way through this kind of maze of tents in the yard and they get into their tent and they, they whisper to each other and they say, let's ask the owl. Because I, I was at this event, so there was this kind of owl buzz, and people were talking about owls a lot. And they said, let's ask the owl, you know, what really happened. Let's ask the owl if we truly were abducted or contacted. And as soon as they asked that question aloud, whispering it in the tent, there was an owl hooting nearby, hooting close. And then there was a pause, and it hooted again, and it was closer, like loud. And then it happened a third time. And this time, it was like right over their tent. The owl was hooting really loud. It woke everyone up like it was a barred owl, unmistakably a barred owl, very loud, a very common owl in that area, but it was right above their tent. And they said it was literally knocking branches off onto the tent. So it was making this huge noise and things were falling and hitting the top of the tent. So Jack and Suzanne were in the tent right next to him. They woke up because it was so loud. And Jack opens his phone to see what time it was. It was 4.20 in the morning. He recognized it immediately. His father had died on April 20th. And so 420 was, a, was unmistakably a reference to his father's death. Six inches away in the tent next to them were Pam and Carol. They asked the question, were we really abducted tonight? Let's ask the owl. And they got an immediate, instantaneous answer. So like the owl has a lot of folklore connected with it. Like there's an ancient folklore of death connected to the owl. And there's a modern folklore of UFO contact connected with the owl. So six inches apart, they're two tents. Jack has an immediate recognition that it was connected to the death of his father, this owl. And right next to him, in the Pam and Carol, have an immediate answer to their question. Were we, in fact, abducted? So you have one owl, one event, with two 
folkloric or symbolic meanings side by side. All four of the players in this drama are UFO experiencers. How, how does that happen? How does that, I mean, who, who, who is the grand chess player putting all these pieces on the, on the chessboard in a way that it'll happen at exactly 420, in a way that it'll happen exactly when they ask the question? So this is, this is the kind of stuff that I'm finding. This is the flavor and tone of these stories. So you asked my your initial question was like how do I how do I differentiate the the dif, the, the power of the sightings? And I've typed this many times. I just it's like a phrase I use all the time. I say the flavor or mood of your story is very familiar. People will tell me stories I've never heard before, but the flavor and the mood of it, the tone of it is I I can tap into it and I can understand it because it, it it's so clearly represents other stories that I have heard that have this playful, at times scary, at times mystical quality to it. So so this is what I'm finding. Um, I, you know, I have so many accounts of people saying, you know, they'll be walking through the woods and they'll say, wow, I wish, maybe I wish I could hear an owl. And boom, they'll hear an owl right next to them, like coming coming out of the bushes right next to them. That's, that's, that's fairly common. So there's and that would that's kind of a that's kind of a, a simple story. And some of the stories I get are are very complex and take some time to tell. That's one of the problems. People say, Hey, what's can you tell me a good owl story? And so, you know, like, oh, I got a half hour, I can tell you some great owl stories. You got you want to listen for three minutes. I gotta you know, I've got plenty of stories that I can tell quickly, but oftentimes, and this is how I really know, is when the stories, the owl story is so tangled up and so mixed up and the knots are tied so tightly like right so you have a you have a tapestry and you pull on one thread and it's somehow connected to every other thread in the tapestry and and you find this shows up in these in these experiences of people where you pull on one little thread and it just and it leads to another synchronicity and it leads to more synchronicities and then you realize like well wait a minute this this story's gotten so complex how do you even tell it because there's there's these multiple things going on. So that that story of the two tents side by side at four o'clock or four twenty in the morning with the owl is a is a good example of the complexities and the strangeness and the symbolic power. You know, both people were blown away. Jack was blown away by the time count on his phone, and Pam and Carol were absolutely thunderstruck by what had happened that night. You know, people which have had these experiences. More often than not, they, they have a tendency to have psychic abilities. Not in every single case, but did you ever notice anything like that after your um, experience in 2006? Uh, yes, yes. And it's funny. I mean, I've fully had powerful psychic knowing. And for me personally, and, it, it's, and it's very well understood in the, in the lore. Um, even a very conservative institution like MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, which is pretty dry. This is a very conservative nuts and bolts researching operation. And they have a checklist, right? You know, they, they have a little form you fill out. And if you talk to someone that's a UFO witness, it says, you know, what time was the sighting? Very pragmatic, simple stuff, you know. Where was, where was the city? Which direction did it come from? Can you draw a picture of it? You know, which way was it traveling? This is mostly for what's called lights in the sky type of sightings. And and then you go down the list and it says, has your spirituality changed? And then there's another question. Has your Have you noticed an uptick in psychic abilities? I'm paraphrasing that poorly, but it, that's essentially on the chess checklist. You would ask the people these questions. There's other things like uh, um, odd 
any animals showing odd behavior. Oftentimes dogs will, dogs will whine or cats will act nervous or horses will get um, anxious and things like that. So there's, you know, people will recognize that in their pets. So yeah, I've recognized that in myself. I'm trying to think of a good example of some of the psychic things that have happened to me. I went through a period which is archived in my blog and this is exactly the story that's very difficult to tell. It's especially difficult to tell on an on a audio program because it's so visual. But I went through this had multiple events. I talked about the event where things lined up on a map and that that line on a map across southern Utah. And the story I told was about being along the Burr Trail Road and the, the uh, you know, me listening to the owl as my friend Natasha saw the floating orb. But there was another event that had a line on a map. It sounds like madness when, when it's written out. I put it in my third book. It sounds like I had gone I was like in the midst of some crazy mania and I was, I would get the scent that I would, people would like, uh, there was events where like I got a, a book in the mail and it was from my friend Mac Tony's. He had died, but it was the book I did the posthumously. I did the illustrations for that arrived in the mail on a certain day. Actually it was March 10th, uh, 2009, might've been 2010, March 10th, 2010, excuse me. And it arrived in the mail. And then, um, the same day, uh, someone had sent me a beautiful picture of owls on a fence, uh, 28 owls on a fence, all on one fence. It was a pretty remarkable picture. And this person, cont- I got a hold of this person and I asked about the story. And he said, yeah, we we're just driving down the road. We saw all these owls. We pulled over and took the picture. And the, the photographer said, it's one of the most powerful experiences in my life, which is the kind of thing you hear when people have an owl sighting. So I just had this knowing, like one, my friend Mac Tony's lived in Kansas City, Missouri. The the other owl sighting on the of the pictures on the fence was in Missouri. And I had this weird knowing, this absolute clarity of knowing that it would line up to this spot on a map called Byron, North Dakota. And the Byron, North Dakota came from a psychic session I had where I hired a session. I paid for her and she was basically giving me health advice. And I have it recorded. And she was basically saying, oh, you know, you know, you should have more olive oil in your diet. That would be helpful for you. And you should take alfalfa supplements. That would be helpful for you. And do you know Byron, North Dakota? Do you know Byron, Wyoming? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. And even she didn't know what she was talking about. We found Byron, North Dakota on a map. If you put a line between the 28 owls and a fence, my friend Mac Tony's home in Kansas City, Missouri, and stretch that line I think it's 800 miles long. It runs through Byron, North Dakota. I knew that. I just knew that. I knew it in this unmistakable way. I knew it. And it scared me. And then another person contacted me. And this is the weird thing. This is how it gets so strange. This person was a a lot of people who read my blog and are familiar with my my writing and follow me. Uh, The writing I was doing, I was doing a lot of blogging right around that time, around 2010. These were UFO experiencers often. And uh, this one fellow who was an experiencer contacted me and said, you know, there's a Byron, Wyoming, don't you? And I was like, what? As soon as he said that, I knew what was going to happen. Now I'm describing something visually for someone listening. But if you take that dot point on the map, and I was using Google Maps at the time, and you could get the zoom right in and make this little line thin. If you take a dot, that dot of Byron, North Dakota, which is right up near the Canadian border, and you stretch a line through Byron, Wyoming, which is right near the Montana border in the state of Wyoming, and you stretch that line and it proceeds along, right? So a psychic said, do you know Byron, Wyoming? Do you know Byron, North Dakota? 
and I didn't realize I found Byron, North Dakota, and I figured that's what she was talking about. There was a Byron, Wyoming, too. If you take a line and stretch it between those points and continue on, so the line is over 700 miles long, it runs through my house. It ran through the house I was living in. It ran through my house, and, and I knew it would. And I can't, I can't put into words how unsettling that was. Like I had, I was, I was obsessed. I was emotionally, I don't want to say unstable, but I was certainly in a vulnerable, shaky point in my life. And these were the kinds of synchronicities that were hitting me over and over and over again. The question I was struggling with, and this, I would just say it, how do I proceed forward? How do I, how do I proceed forward given this kind of stuff invading my life? These odd psychic experiences, I had no context for what it might mean. Right? What does it mean to have these kinds of experiences? I mean, it, it's just, on one sense, I'm cautious to, to believe them, but I know they happened. I know they happened. You know, how much power do I give them? How much agency do I let them have over my life, these powerful synchronicities? And I made a very conscious decision during this cluster of synchronistic events, starting in around 2006 and running all the way through, even till today, I made a conscious decision, like, I am going to use these synchronicities like a like a compass, and I will trust these synchronicities, and I will use them to guide my life. And for better or for worse, I've done exactly that. And it has been remarkably fascinating. So your question was, you know, how do I trust the validity? Or how do I separate a normal owl setting from a powerful owl setting? And I would say that there's a mood and a flavor and a power to the real owl stories. Not the real owl stories. I mean, you see an owl in the woods, it's a real owl. You're having a real experience. But that to the ones that are somehow connected to this deeper symbolic, and I would also say hopeful set of experiences. Like I did not set out to write a, well, it's not really a benevolent book, but it's, but it's not a dark book, right? So I did not set out, I didn't know where I was going when I started that first book, The Messengers, which is about 400 pages long. Like I just started writing, like I had, a, I had blog posts that I had already written, so I could kind of fit those in and I had my own experiences and I could kind of fit those in. And the act of writing that book was out of control. It would just be like, I would work on this thing and this one chapter just wasn't coalescing. And I would just say, ugh, I can't, fit. it's not working. Like this chapter is not working, just I need one more story. And then ping, you know, later that same day or in the moment I'm having that thought, an email would come in and it would be someone with exactly the story that I needed to complete the chapter. And the whole book fell together like that. And it, again, it was like, it was happening under magical means. I, I say it very clearly in the book. I say like, listen, I feel like this book was orchestrated by an outside source. And that's a bold statement. I, I cannot prove that. So I just say it feels like that. The implication is that I was somehow channeling the book, which I don't think is true. Like it was hard work. I had, you know, it was hard work to put the book together. But this, the accounts and the stories felt like they were arriving in my email inbox in magical ways. And that first book was where I argue, I feel strongly that owls and UFOs and synchronicities are all connected. And it takes me about 400 pages to make my case. And and uh, that book has been popular and people have responded really well to it. So, So I feel like I... That was my premise when I started the book, just to make the case. I didn't know until really in the summation of the book, when I could look at the book in its totality, that these stories have a have an optimism to them and that, that has a kind of a hopefulness to them that I did not expect where there's some dark stories, there's some scary stories, and I made sure to include those and not just let it be the more playful 
life-affirming stories. So that surprised me because I didn't expect that going into the project. And I would say that it's not so much that the owls are a nice message. I mean, it's not so much that the owls deliver a nice message. I would say that the owls often, or most often, would deliver a very challenging message, a very difficult message. And that message is, um, and, and let me just say, like, just because it's challenging and difficult doesn't make it bad. So here's a story. This woman, she was a, uh, she had had UFO contact experiences. And she was involved in a community of, of people uh, that they would have meetups that all had experiences. And this, she was living in, um, on the West Coast, and she would walk her dog along this jetty, you know, that's kind of, it was a rock jetty that had a path on it and went way, way, way out into the salt water. It was on an inland bay. And, uh, and there was a, was pouring down rain one day, just pouring down rain. And she said, oh, my dog wants to go for a walk. I'll take her for a walk. So she went with the dog and she's walking. She would never walk in the pouring rain like that, but she went out for a walk in the pouring rain and she walked and she was walked along this jetty and she got about halfway out on the jetty and she's like, what am I doing? Why am I out here? And she's, she turns around. She's like, I'm going back. This is crazy. It's pouring rain. Why? I never, I would never walk the dog in the pouring rain. Why am I out here? So she turns around and there's this big owl standing in front of her. You know, so it's like landed there on the jetty. So she turns around, she's facing this big owl. She says it's like three foot tall, which is bigger than any owl should be. And she's had her dog, this very high strung dog. And the dog sat in front of this owl. And she said the dog sat as if it was confronting royalty. And she did this eye to eye with this big, big owl. And then the owl eventually flew off. She later said, she's like, I know a lot about birds. And I've looked up and I've tried to figure out what kind of owl this is. And I, I don't know. And I was like, could it have been an albatross? And she says, nope, nope, it was an owl. Could it have been some other big bird? And like, nope, nope, it was an owl. But it doesn't match any owl in any kind of bird book. And that is a weird detail. So she's someone who's had UFO contact experiences. Shortly after this owl sighting, she had a pain in her shoulder. She went to the doctor and she had advanced cancer. And she went through a long period of chemotherapy. And it was very difficult. And... She survived. She's been cancer-free for over a decade, and and she's doing great. And so I asked her the question, like, what do you think the owl represented? And she said, the owl to me felt like I had a message. Get ready. Your life is about to change. Your life is about to get hard. She had a powerful challenge. She was she had cancer. She just says she went right up to the line of death and somehow avoided dying and is now healthy. And here's the question I ask people. Right. This is like this is the shaman question. Like I put my shot, I take my UFO investigator hat off or my owl investigator hat off and I put it aside and I put my shaman hat on and I say, what was going on in your life leading up to this event? And she said, I was scared of everything. I was scared of my own shadow. The contact events in my life like were traumatic and I was terrified of everything. And, I, and then I asked, what's going on in your life now? She says, I am frightened of nothing. That took a few minutes to tell that story, but that is the flavor and the mood of some of these stories, right? That has a dark element. She was, she was, she went right up to the line of death and survived. It was a difficult challenge. People will contact me with these stories and they'll be in the middle of a life crisis and then they'll have a powerful owl experience. You know, you know, husband dies, parent dies, like literally nervous breakdown type stuff in the throes of alcoholism or drug addiction or something. And they will have this powerful owl experience and It'll change the tenor of their life. The fellow who was on your show, his name was Brian, and it was an episode called uh, The White Owl, I think it was called. And he told 
three separate events that had owls in them. One of them had an owl and a UFO in it. And all each one of those events seemed to imply that the owl was giving a warning. Two of them happened on roads. One of them was, you know, he was driving fast and, and there was an owl and it surprised him and it startled him and it, it forced him to slow down. And then he turned a corner and there was a big accident in the highway. And he felt if he had been going fast, he would have been in that car accident. And then he had two other stories that had a similar sort of flavor. They were each different in their tone, but they were, they had this similar flavor where the owl seemed to be, seemed to be a warning, you know, in the road to slow down. He didn't know it until after it happened, but that's how it played out. I've got that many times, many times where people will be driving down the road and they'll, they'll be an owl will swoop in front of their windshield and whoa, or they'll jam on the brakes and then they'll turn the corner and then a car will have swerved into their lane. And if they were going fast and hadn't slowed down, there would have been a head on accident. That curiously common in my files, stories like that. intrigued by paranormal talk radio you'll love the new paranormal radio app from talk stream live you'll find a great selection of talk shows covering ufos ghosts strange phenomena and much more download the paranormal radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment including the network you're listening to right now the paranormal radio app free in google play and the ios app store So I don't know what to say. There was a mystery. I don't like people say, "What does the owl mean? What does uh, you know? What does it all mean?" And 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 I I should have an answer to it. I don't. I can dance around it. And there's four points. So Richard Dolan is a uh, was my editor in the first and second books. He was the editor and the publisher. And he's a funny guy. He's like he's a pretty intense guy. And he was he called me up when he was working on the first book. And he's like, Mike, I'm loving this book. I'm because he was reading it and kind of editing it as I sent it to him. And he was reading it to see if he wanted to publish it. And he did publish it. So but he was as he was reading it, he was kind of he called me up one night. And he, he's like, Mike, I love this book. I'm, I'm waiting to the part where when's the part where you like explain when you say like when you tell me what the owls mean. And I, there was this long pause on the phone. I'm like, uh, you're going to be kind of disappointed because I, I don't have an answer. And he's like, what? You know, he's a very formal uh, academic by training. And he like, he wanted that answer. And I was like, I can't, I don't have an answer. And the, uh, so in the second book, I gave him, the second book is a, is, is essentially stories that wouldn't fit in the first book. So there's a 400 page first book. And then there's like a 350 page second book. That is the stories that wouldn't fit into that to the first book. And those are the more complex stories. And they have that kind of uh, el uh, elliptical spiraling logic that uh, that I was trying to explain here earlier. So he's not let me off the hook. He says, you're going to give, you got to give an answer. You can't do it. You can't put out two books about owls and UFOs and not have some sort of, you know, what does it mean? So, you know, so I came up with some stuff and, and this is, again, it's very open-ended and like, I really don't know. So the four points would be one, the owl is an alarm clock. Pay attention, right? Pay attention. It's an alarm clock. It wakes you up, right? So the owl that I saw in the mountains with Kristen woke me up. I started looking into my own experiences. Pay attention. I started to pay attention to my own experiences. And this is out of order. But number two would be that it, the owl is there to announce initiation. And that is something that someone told me. And it rang so true that in essence, uh, like an initiate, like if you are an initiate, and this is where this goes back to the shamanic thing where within uh, shamanic practices, people who are going through a shamanic initiation, it's well understood that owls play a role in this. They show up at the time of, of the initiation process of a young shaman. And so the question is, 
initiation into what, right? So, you know, wait, you know, the owl is a symbol, is an alarm clock, tells you to wake up, pay attention, but wake up to what? Pay attention to what? And same thing if they're there to announce initiation, initiation into what? So these, all these things are open-ended. I would also say that the owls are an archetype and an archetype has a deeper meaning. Now, archetype is one of those words that, you know, philosophy students can sit around the dorm room and kind of argue on what the, what the meaning of an archetype is. And, you know, what's, how do you define archetype? You know, you look in the dictionary, archetype uh, means like quintessential, you know, so it means like a, uh, it has, it has a one meaning in the dictionary, but to a, to a philosophy student or a, or a doctorate of someone who's got a doctorate in philosophy, archetype would, would imply a, something that is universally well known and understood at a subconscious level within the human population, right? That's kind of the, the Jungian collective unconscious is filled with these archetypes. Um, you know, you go to see, uh, you go to see Star Wars and Luke Skywalker, you know, flies his starfighter around and has, you know, uh, lightsaber battles and stuff like that. So you're seeing a story, but at, on a deeper level, it's the story of the hero. So Luke Skywalker is the archetype of the hero. He's on the hero's journey. And the the owl would be the archetype. For me, it's the archetype of the challenge, of the mystery, and of some deeper reality. And then, and number four in this list is owls are the totem of the transformational experience. Like seeing an owl can transform someone. I've spoken to so many people who have seen like a, a UFO, a strange craft in the sky. And at that moment, their entire definition of reality has been altered forever. And I've also spoken to people who have had powerful owl sightings. And the same thing changed their lives forever. And so there's this transformational process that the owl seems to represent. And and I've talked about death as owl is symbolic of death. I mean, that's the ultimate transformation, right? So you're you're transforming from the realm of the living to the realm of the afterworld. So I came up with those four things in essence to please my publisher, but it actually helped me sort of formalize how I look at these things. During the writing process of the first book, I got a message and it came from a woman. And I used to say, you know, like I wouldn't put anything in the book if it was a one-off, right? If I didn't have a, a, a more than one example of a story, I wouldn't put it in the book. And I have since had more examples of this nearly identical story, but I'll just tell this one story. And it, when I first published the book, it was a one-off. And when the book came out, more people contacted me with similar stories. I get a message from a grandmother, this happy grandmother. And she says, I have a story for you, my experience with an owl. When I was a teenager, I was terribly depressed. I was terribly, terribly depressed. And I wanted to end my life. I wanted to commit suicide. And I drove in the night. I had a spot picked out. I knew where I was going to do it. I took my parents' car and I was driving in the night and it was snowing out. And it was on this lonely road and I had a pullout, a turnout on this lonely road that I was going to park the car. And I had a hose that I could run from the exhaust into the cab of the car. And I had a pillow so I could lay down in the back seat and put my head on the pillow. And as I'm driving, she said she was driving, she was literally slowing down in order to turn into the turnout. And this owl flew right up against her windshield. And she said it was so powerful. It was like time stopped. And this owl seemed to hover in place and they locked eyes. And then the owl flew off. And she said, I had a good cry. And it felt like the message was clear. Like things will get better. Turn around. So she went home and she's now a happy grandmother. And she survived. And, and that story is unmistakable. She, was, she said that owl saved my life life.
that's a much more powerful example than you know slowing down on the highway where you might have gotten into an accident. That owl saved her life. And I have since gotten several more stories that play out almost exactly the same of that as that story. This is what I'm running into. And this is when I keep on saying, like, if you have one of these, if like if you start talking about UFOs or especially UFOs and owls together, it should take you about five minutes before you go right up to the line and ask the big questions. Why are we here? What does it all mean? Yeah, that certainly is a not just powerful, but a beautiful story as well. And I bet you there are hundreds and hundreds of accounts out there. I bet you many people listen as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm getting. I mean, I, I feel honored to be able to collect these stories. It's really been a powerful life-affirming honor to, to collect and archive these stories. And I have such a hard time keeping up with it. I do my very best to get back to people, but I, it's like walking uphill in sand. You know, you just, you, there's only so much I can do as one person. I would love to have like a, a budget of like, you know, of, you know, where I could hire people and, and go through and kind of archive. And, and I want to kind of crunch the numbers of these stories, you know, like how many people, how many happen to women? How many happen to men? You know, how, what are the ages? You know, how many people are Reiki therapists? How many people are, are having spiritual awakenings? You know, like, so th these questions are, are hidden within the data, right? So yeah, so I've got like a, you know, let's say I've got a thousand excellent stories. I got a lot more kind of mediocre stories. Like, oh, I saw an owl on a fence. I got about a thousand powerful, good stories that with the flavor and tone of what I've been sharing. And it just tells me something is going on that is much, much more powerful than the simplistic story that we're being told, that being fed by the media. You know, there's metal spaceships in the sky. There very well might be. And it might be, you know, that might be part of it, you know, that, that spaceships from another planet are visiting us, but they're bringing along this symbolic and mystical quality that, that makes me think that this is much more tied into our ancient mysteries. And that's the other kind of avenue of thought that I've been wrestling with, right? So that, you know, the owl is part of our folklore. It's part of our mythology. It's part of, our, it's part of the human existence. There's all throughout the world's cultures, there are owl myths and there are owl stories and owls have a, have a, have a palpable resonance in the cultures all throughout all throughout the world. And it's very similar. And do you know who Jordan Maxwell is? Do, yeah. Yeah, sure. so I, I he, he did a podcast one time and he's, he gave his phone number out. And the, even the podcast host was like, you, you're giving your phone number out? He's like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to give my phone number out. I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, I'm calling this guy up. And I called him up like right away. And he answered the phone and he's like, who are you? And I'm like, well, you gave your phone number out and I want to ask some questions. Like, well, you can't just call me. And I'm like, well, like, and I was like, wasn't going to let him off the hook. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me just make this quick. I'm doing research on owls and, and I'm having all these, I'm collecting all these paranormal stories about owls. You know, like, what's, what's the owl mythology? What's the core of it? And he kind of like, ugh, you could hear he's totally annoyed. But he said, you know, the owl can see into the darkness. And all the cultures all over the world recognize that the owl can see into the darkness and fly into the night. And that must have appeared as magical to ancient man. Fly into the night. And so the night would be a metaphor for flying into the land of the dead, for flying into the land of the ancestors, for flying into that other realm. But not only did they travel to that other realm, they then return with a message. And that's at the core of, that's like the, that's like the consistent thread that seems to be embedded in all the world's mythologies. That the owl is a messenger from this reality to that hidden reality. And when I was doing the research, like I, I had to pick an, I had to pick a title for the book. And what was happening was people would send me these messages. They'd send, oh, I had this owl experience and it was totally mystical and there was a UFO and, and I saw the owl. And halfway through the met, the thing, they, they don't call it the owl anymore. They call it the messenger. 
you know, the messenger landed on a fence and it lie locked eyes with the messenger. So that became the title of the book, The Messengers. So that ancient mythology, Owl is Messenger, let's come to present day. So Harry Potter is the most popular set of books in the history of publication. Harry Potter has a pet owl that delivers the mail. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. He has an owl as messenger. This is an ancient mythology. This is modern, present day, pop culture. It's like every everyone's familiar with that story. Everyone knows that Harry Potter has a pet owl that delivers the mail. It is a messenger. I had an owl stand at my feet when I was with Kristen. And I looked at that owl and a voice in my head said, this has something to do with the UFOs. I was looking at a real owl and I had a message. I had a very clear message. And it has, that message on that night changed the direction of my life. The owl as symbolic of the transformational process, right? So I like went camping. It's like not a very interesting story if you tell it, you know, a certain way. Like I went camping, I saw some owls. Doesn't sound that exciting, but it changed the direction of my life entirely. And it has been much this chapter of my life, this new chapter of my life has been wildly rewarding emotionally and intellectually and spiritually. And it feels like I have a purpose. It's like you're guided and probably not just from 2006, obviously way before, you know, when you had the earlier experiences. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I'm, I can force thoughts into this. Like I can, well, I can, let me, I can cram, like, was it an initiation? I mean, I guess I could frame it that way and tell it in a way that I could play it. So this was a moment of initiation. Yeah. And I, and I needed that, that foundation of the other experiences in my life, um, you know, missing time and seeing the five beings in my yard and stuff like that. I had that as a foundation when, when, and I was denying it, fully denying it. And that what happened was the owl, seeing those owls in the mountains with Kristen forced me to look into my own story, which I was totally denying. And the act of looking into it, my my old world unraveled, crumbled, fell apart, and a new world emerged, a new a new life. Because there was, you know, there was apathy as well, wasn't there? I mean, when you when you had those experiences back in uh, when you're 30 years old in Maine, you know, there was there was apathy surrounding that. And again, that is something which, which crops up. And what was happening is I was having all these experiences that I couldn't, I couldn't clamp the lid down on, right? So that, that experience with that nutty experience with the map and knowing that it was going to, like the line passes right through my house and, and psychic readings and a dead friend and owls, 28 owls on a fence, you know, like this was like, it was so clustered together. And so I, my, my headspace was so frenetic and frenzied and unstable. <laughs> so that was all these things were happening. Like it was, it felt like that, that was happening before I was, I was recognizing that like, oh, this is, this is real. I was fighting and I was saying, wow, this is a crazy coincidence when I wouldn't say, wow, this is, this feels orchestrated and it has powerful meaning. Did Kristen have any experiences prior to 2006? You know, it's funny. I had, a, we talked about this. I would talk about synchronicities like and i was a little bit sort of high and mighty like wow man i have these incredible synchronicities like aren't i special and she would roll her eyes and say yeah live live in my life you know live in my shoes for a day like i have these powerful synchronicities all the time too you're not special and then i we had the talk i basically said you know what happened did anything happen to you after that because she moved shortly after that experience and we kept in touch but it was kind of you know cursory and we would exchange hellos and things like that on texting and stuff and emails and then i finally asked her just recently like what happened and after the event. And she said, well, I was in a bookstore and a book fell off the shelf and landed at my feet. I picked it up and bought it. It changed my life. It saved my life. 
and I, it's very personal. She was having emotional issues that I don't want to go into and that were potentially serious and dangerous. And, and this one book changed the direction of her life. So, and that happened shortly after our OWL experience. When people email me, it's quite common that they'd say, well, number one, you're going to think I'm crazy. And then I also get a lot of people saying, you know, I don't think I'm special for this, you know, this experience, which is very, again, very common. I, d I don't believe people are special when they have these experiences, all these synchronicities in people's lives. Now that that's what's special, you know, there is meaning to this. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, that, that was, I fought that too. I fought it. I fought it. I fought it. And it was just like, what a couple of things were happening is I met so many people that it, it felt like, and so many wonderful people too, I'll add that were having similar experiences. And I remember I said, you know, like I, once I had that experience in the mountains with Kristen, I just reached out to people and started, I was shameless the same way that I, you know, called up Jordan Maxwell, like with, uh, with unhesit I wasn't, didn't hesitate at all. I just dialed his phone number up. Like I, I have been like that now for, for over a decade. And so, and what I found is like, oh, well, I, you know, yes, I'm having these experiences, but so many other people are having these experiences. So it's, so it's not like I'm all alone. Like if I was all alone having these experiences, I would be very cautious. It would feel, you know, like, you know, why am I having, why me? Why am I special? And I'm saying, no, no, I'm not special. I'm, this is normal. This is part of the human experience. This is, if we turn the clock back or if we were like in the jungles of Brazil and someone had a mystical experience like this, the, the villagers would all have a framework to just deal with this and understand it and just, just no big deal, right? They, you could talk to the village shaman, you could get some insight you could you could find there'd be someone in the village with some wisdom that that would could help you and then everyone in the village would also be open to these kind of what we would call mystical experiences and and in their context they would be normal experiences and that's i'm at the point now people tell me oh my god i had this powerful crazy experience i don't know what to do with it and i said that's not a crazy experience that is a normal experience just people don't talk about it you don't have it every every day, but there's lots of things we don't have every day that are normal. So I'm at the point now where I'm looking at this stuff as being a normal, something normal in the human experience. And I feel like the owl and UFO story, you just change a few little things. You change the costume of, you know, so instead of being dressed like a gray alien, they're dressed like, a, you know, a Native American elder or they're dressed like a Greek god or they're dressed, you know, they, so the costume has changed. But it's the same story, stretching right back to the dawn of man. Exactly. It's always been here. Um, to our listeners, if you'd like to reach out to Mike, because I'm sure he'd be very happy to hear um, your hour stories, what's the email, Mike? Well, you can go to um, mikecleland.com. Mike Cleland, all one word, and there's a, there's a contact uh, thing there. And if you can't remember that, you can just Google uh, UFO owl, and I'm the first thing that comes up. And then I'm about the next 25 things underneath that. So, uh, I'm pretty easy to find. And I have a, my website, I have a blog and that's all connected. There's a few things on the, the hub is that mikeclellan.com page. And then the blog where is called hidden experience. And from, from that hub site, you can find my books and my blog and my writings and, and such. Oh, I would like to say that, um, the audiobooks are turned out beautiful. So I read two of the audiobooks. I read the second and third books and I hired a voice actor to do the first book. And um, all three of those are uh, available um, and easy to find on Amazon and Audible. And um, I, I really feel like the, um, and I'm going to say this, the third book is Selling the Least. And that one's, that one is a collection of my blog posts. And it, it plays out like a narrative of my of my coming to terms with these experiences. About 10 years of blog posts, I didn't very carefully chose the ones that tell a story from beginning to 
to end. So there's a very true narrative uh, that the change in me is described in blog posts. So, um, and oftentimes those blog posts are like me writing very frenetically and frantically saying like, oh my God, this happened just now. Five minutes ago, this weird thing happened and I write about it in the moment. So it has this sense of immediacy. And that book, people who have not had the experience, like never seen a UFO, never had a powerful mystical experience, they read that book and they're saying like, oh, I didn't get it didn't make any sense to me. People who have had the UFO contact experience or have had powerful mystical experiences or psychic experiences, they get back to me and they read that book and they say, well, thank you for writing that because you're articulating. You are, you are giving a voice to what I cannot say because of my job, because of, you know, my kids or my relationship with my family. I can't say this stuff. And they thank me for saying what they couldn't say. And that means a lot to me. And um, so I'm, I have a hard time promoting that third book, but if for the people who have had the contact experience in one form or another, those people seem to resonate very strongly with the third book, which is titled Hidden Experience. And, I, and I'll also say that the audiobook, I, I went fully, like I acted out the audiobook, like I really went for it when I recorded that. So I think it makes a better audiobook than a, than a text a you know paperback book. A very calming voice, Mike. You've been you know wonderful to listen to tonight. So maybe an audio book would be a good idea for people. So yes, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I'll put all the links below in the description and on the website. So if you want to reach out to Mike or even pick up a copy of the Messengers, Owl Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee, it's all there. You know, and it's all about every. I always look at everyone's experiences as being like a, a giant puzzle. And sometimes those puzzle pieces, you know, are the wrong way around, and you got to kind of get the pieces and, and keep turning and turning till you know till they fit in and then you get you know you get answers and and when you do a puzzle like that you eventually even if all the pieces aren't there i mean you can stand back from a puzzle and say oh that's a sailboat right a jigsaw puzzle and so even with without all the puzzle pieces you can still get a pretty good idea of what the image is that you're looking at well mike i really appreciate you coming on today and sharing that for our listeners thank you so much i'll keep in touch and I and I'm, I really respect your show, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy to have found it because I get kind of cynical about like oh my god, there's so many bad like podcasts. <laughs> so so it was wonderful to stumble on yours and just realize like wow, this is like this has got a perfect vibe to it. Your show, so great stuff. That's great, Mike. You take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you soon. Great now, bye bye bye, Mike. That is all for this week. Keep updated and connected with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you have an encounter that you would like to share on the podcast, you can email. me me at ufochronicles at gmail.com or reach out to me via the contact page on my website at ufochroniclespodcast.com and while you're on the website have a look around the podcast merchandise store and pick yourself up a t-shirt or some other goodies a big thank you to mike for sharing tonight and thank you all for listening i will be back next week till then stay safe and keep watching the skies goodbye